0: Well, Hebrews chapter 10, let's stand for the reading of God's word, and um, we began this Bible study last week, and we'll be um, finishing up down through verse 25 in our verse-by-verse study of the book of Hebrews. I have really enjoyed getting to walk through the book of Hebrews, and and uh, it's a treasure trove. It's enjoyable. Look with me at verse number 6, and let's read down through verse 10. It says, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God, and when he said sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings, and offerings for sin thou wouldst not, neither hadst pleasure therein, uh, which are offered by the law, then said he, Lo I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we uh, by the which By the which will we are sanctified, there we go, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And so we're going to continue again what we began last week. Jesus is better than the sacrifices. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us to understand the Bible study? There will be a lot of points tonight that are very practical. Uh, There will be some doctrinal teaching, but much of uh, what we cover this evening will be very practical to each of us as Christians. May we weigh uh, our lives uh, in the balance of Scripture. And Lord, may we make sure where we're out of line with Scripture that we commit to you to get in line with Scripture. And Lord, may we make it our goal to live inside the boundaries of the Bible, knowing that you have our best intention at heart. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, we are uh, getting started with the Bible study a little bit later than normal tonight. The praise time went on and on. And hey, I don't want to, I don't want to interrupt the gratitude in your hearts. So we'll, uh, we'll just have to uh, uh, shorten the introduction here a little bit. And so let's just quickly review the outline from last week and then we'll get right into the outline this week. Uh, Jesus is better than the sacrifices. Number one, we began by looking at the shadow. Of the sacrifices. Look at verse number one. It says, "For the law, chapter ten, verse one, for the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these sacrifices uh, which they offered uh, year by year, continually make the comer thereunto perfect." And so, there were five major sacrifices that were laid out uh, for the Israelites in the book of Leviticus. And each one of those offerings served a different purpose and was offered up for a different reason. Uh, but Jesus Christ was the completion of each of those. And each of those offerings was nothing more than a shadow of the, the, the sacrifice that Jesus would make. Think of, uh, think of Jesus on the cross and a shadow landing on the Old Testament. And so there was a lot of things that were not clear about what they all stood for or what they were symbolic of. But once Jesus died on the cross, he became the completion of those sacrifices so the shadow of the sacrifices last week i asked you would you rather have a picture of a steak dinner or a steak dinner would you rather have a picture of an ice cream cone or would you rather have the ice cream cone and uh, the old testament sacrifices were nothing more than a picture or a shadow of the better thing and that was jesus and the cross number two we looked at the shortcomings of the sacrifices, and I tried the best I could to put you in the shoes of someone who is a Hebrew uh, born around the time of Christ, maybe even a few decades before Christ, and here you are being taught the ritualism of taking the animals into the temple and putting them on the brazen altar and watching them get tied down, and all of that which was laid out for it, uh, the, the money that was invested, and, and all of that that went into it, the Time, the energy, the effort, and and just how people fall in love with the ceremonialism of something, and all of a sudden now you're being told uh, we we we're not doing it that way anymore, and have they had a hard time taking their eyes off of that. So here in the book of Hebrews, uh, we see that the author of Hebrews, really God, is telling his people. He's saying, "Look, the 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 problem with continuing on with those animal sacrifices is that they." Fall short of what uh, of what they're supposed to accomplish. Uh, we looked at uh, letter A. They could not perfect the comers. Turn me down just a hair, brother Joe. Uh, uh, verse one, we see it says. Uh, uh, offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. Rather, back up, can never, with those sacrifices, make the comer thereunto perfect. So as hard as they tried, it just wasn't happening. They they sacrificed year after year after year. Then we looked at letter B. They could not purge the conscious. While there was an outward cleansing, there was not an inward removal of the sin in their conscience. it it still cl- made their conscience cloudy. And then we saw they could not please the Creator. Uh, yes, year by year, that Day of Atonement, when the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat there in the Holy of Holies, that bought them another year. But it didn't pay off their sin debt. Uh, what paid off the sin debt of someone who lived prior to the cross? It wasn't the sacrifices. It wasn't the Day of Atonement. It was faith in God that Messiah would one day come and die in their place. Those sacrifices, they fell short. There were shortcomings. Number three, lastly, last week, we looked at the submission of Christ. All of those sacrifices were pointing to the coming Messiah, who now we know would die on a cross. But the cross would have never happened if Jesus had not been willing to lay down his will and follow The Father's will. We looked at how it was foretold in Scripture. We looked at how Psalm chapter 40, verses 6 and 7, are quoted here in Hebrews chapter 10. In fact, when I had you stand for the Scripture reading a few moments ago, we looked at Psalm 40 in Hebrews chapter 10, in verses number uh, uh, 7 and 8 there, uh, rather 6 and 7, and how that uh, Jesus, rather God in heaven, had no more pleasure in animal sacrifices, because those were, just, those were just the precursor. Those were the pre-fight, if you will, to the main event. And the main event was the person of Jesus. Last week, I took you to uh, a passage in Luke, Luke 22, where Jesus is there in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives. And he's sweating great drops of blood. And he says, Father, not my will, not my will. But thine be done. Jesus' will was that the cross not happen. Why? He did not want the pain and suffering of becoming the very thing he hated in my sin. He did not want that. But he knew why he had been put on earth. He knew why he was robed in flesh. He knew why it was he was there at that moment. He was there to suffer so that I, you and I could be set free. The submission of Christ. Not only was it foretold in Scripture, it was the fulfillment of the law. We finished last week's Bible study by addressing the importance of our submission to God's plan on our life. We said that if Jesus had not been willing to submit to the Father, everyone would be hell-bound. When we don't submit to the Father, others suffer because of our unwillingness to do what He wants. Are you going to be stubborn and do it your way, or are you going to submit and do it the Lord's way? Let's continue on with the outline this evening as we look at what it means in the New Testament under the New Covenant uh, to, to be a sacrifice, to follow our Savior who was the ultimate sacrifice and for us uh, to be a sacrifice. Notice number four, the satisfaction of the father. We looked at the shadow of the sacrifices, the shortcoming of the sacrifices. We looked last week at the submission of Christ because Jesus was willing to submit that satisfied the father. Look at, uh, let me give you letter a here. Notice God's pleasure in the cross God's pleasure in the cross. Look with me at chapter 10 and look at verse number 5. It says, "...wherefore when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice an offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. In burnt offering and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure." Why no pleasure in the animal sacrifices? Because the pleasure that God the Father would find was when Jesus would die and his wrath toward our sin would be satisfied. His pleasure was not in seeing his son die, but his pleasure was knowing that the price for our sin had been paid and reconciliation uh, could be uh, brought about. Verse 6, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book of It is written of me to do thy will, O God. It pleased the Father when the Son fulfilled his will. It pleased the Father. Look at verse 8. And when he said, Sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, thou wouldest not, speaking of the various types of animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, neither hadest that pleasure therein which are offered by the law. It was not those sacrifices performed by the Aaronic priests coming down through the Pipeline through the years through the centuries and even the millennia that satisfied God in heaven. No, 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 no. Make it very clear. The sacrifice that the Lord was looking for the sacrifice that the Lord wanted was his son on the cross dying For our sins, because that would pay the ultimate price. Turn over with me to Matthew chapter number three and look with me at verse number 17 as we see here the Father's uh, uh, God's pleasure uh, in the cross. Matthew chapter three, verse number 17, we see how God was pleasured by his son Jesus. Uh, Here it says, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. Where was this? Matthew three. Those of you that know your Bible. If you don't, you can look real quick. When Jesus was baptized, right? Here Jesus being baptized, and the Holy Spirit descends as a dove, and a God, the Father's voice, is heard, saying, I am pleasured, I am pleased in the baptism of my Son. Uh, look with me at, let's see, chapter 17 and verse number five. Matthew seventeen. And verse number 5, we find here uh, the father pleased with his son. Chapter 17, verse 5, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Now, where are we at here? The transfiguration right here Jesus is being transfigured and the prophets two prophets have come down I believe Elijah and Moses on both sides and God again endorses his son not only at the beginning of his public ministry at the baptism but also here where he's transfigured before Peter James and John and he says this is Is my beloved Son, I am pleased by Him. I find pleasure in Him. Why? Because Jesus was living out the will of the Father. Hey, don't miss this. Don't miss this. When you are submissive to the will of the Father, you please the Father. He finds satisfaction when you submit your will to His will and you do what's right. Hey, it's not just when we do what's right when it's convenient. It's when we do what's right when it's inconvenient. God's pleasure in the cross. Let her be. notice Christ's perfection of the Christian. Look back with me in Hebrews chapter 10 and let's continue. Look at verse number 14 there with me. It says there, "...for by one offering he hath perfected forever..." Them that are sanctified. Hey, that just about makes me want to run around the auditorium and shout. He hath perfected them who he has sanctified, that are sanctified. Look at verse 15. Wherefore the Holy Ghost also is as a witness to us, for after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Have you ever heard someone say that when you get saved, uh, all of a sudden you have a new understanding, a new moral compass of right and wrong? How many of you have ever heard that taught or preached? You with me this evening? Okay, if you haven't heard it taught or preached and you were saved uh, uh, as a preteen and up, we'll say 10 years old, 11 years old and up, how many of you understand, those of you that were saved 10, 11 years old and up, you understand that your moral compass changed the day you got saved? You with me this evening? Okay. These verses validate that. He removed our sins and iniquities off our record, and he wrote in our heart the law of God. You know who, who wrote that there, right? The Spirit of God did that. He moved in, and now the alcohol you drank before you got saved, it didn't bother you. Now all of a sudden, when you pick that bottle up to your lips, you go, ooh, wait a minute. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raising. And you may not know the verse, but the Spirit of God is impressing that same truth on your heart. Why? Because he's trying to sanctify you. Now, I love the idea of sanctification. I love it. I love the theory of it. I love it from a distance. It's sort of like um, when I go to uh, uh, the airport in New York, uh, JFK or LaGuardia, you drive over that uh, bridge. What bridge is that? A white, uh, the, the keystone? White Stone. I knew it was something stone. White Stone Bridge. You drive over that bridge and you look to the right and there is New York City. Isn't it pretty? Isn't it beautiful? Uh, last year, my wife and I went to New Jersey for a conference, and uh, we went a day early, and we got a hotel room, and uh, we went and found a restaurant right on the water there on the Jersey side where we could sit at our table. It was a Mexican restaurant, and we could sit at our table and look out, and we could see the skyline of New York City, and then we went down, and we looked at it as it was all lit up. I'm going somewhere here. Stay with me, and then we it was so pretty uh, that we went back the next morning, and we uh, we got pictures together with the skyline in the background, and man, looking at uh, the the skyline is great, but you know, when you get closer to New York City, and you get on the inner city streets of New York City, you begin to see the litter on the streets, you begin to see the homeless on the streets, and uh, you get into certain neighborhoods, and it doesn't feel real safe, and all of a sudden, this magnificent, beautiful thing that just seems so wonderful, when you get close to it, doesn't seem so wonderful anymore. Can I tell you that's the sanctification process? The thought of it from a distance that God is going to make me into the image of Jesus Christ. Hey, sign me up for that. I don't want to be a wretched sinner walking around. But then when you get down into the nitty-gritty of what it means to be sanctified, I'm going to tell you, it's hard. It's tough. Because God's going to come into your life and he's going to have to do spiritual surgery over and over and over and over again. He's going to say, that right there, it needs to go. And that right there, it needs to go. And you're going to say, Lord, I don't want to let that go. Or, Lord, I want to let it go, but I'm having a hard time letting it go. And He'll turn the fire up underneath us because He's trying to purify us. The closer you get to it boy, the harder that process seems. And there are times where the process is flat out miserable. But if you let God work that process, you look back over your shoulder, not after days, weeks, uh, or months of Christianity, or even a year of Christianity, but you look back behind you after several years, and you can say, I'm not where I ought to be, but boy, look where the Lord has brought me. Look at the work He's doing in my life. Why? Because the whole idea of the satisfaction of the Father is not just the Father was pleased in Jesus' death on the cross. The Lord finds great pleasure, great satisfaction in the perfecting of the Christian. Letter C, we see Christ's placement above the condemned. Look with me at uh, verse number 11. It says there, In every priest... Standeth daily ministering and offering, oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered once, am I right, verse, offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down on the right hand of God. We looked at that a little bit last week. Look at verse 13. From henceforth, expect, expect, let's see, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. When I was a little boy, uh, I'd be I'd be sitting on the ground. There's nine of us in my family. Well, I'm one of seven children. I'd be you know coming the, uh, the, the, the living room late and all the seats are taken. So I'd sit on the ground and my dad would come into the room and he'd order one of us up that were on the couch so he could sit down on the couch because he wasn't sitting on the floor and he'd sit on the couch and there I am and he'd put his feet up on my shoulder. And he'd say, God is making my enemies my footstool. And I thought, thanks, Dad. Thanks, I'm your footstool. Um, I always found that to be a fascinating, or rather a funny word. A footstool. Uh, Let's see here. God's placement above the condemned. What did God do with Jesus? He sent him to the cross. Jesus was crucified on the cross. He rose from the dead. Now he reigns over the enemies. Where are most of the men, if not all of the men, with the exception of that Roman centurion, where are those men who crucified Jesus today? Most of them are probably in hell. How about the the chief priest, Caiaphas, that wagged his head at the foot of the cross and belittled and mocked him and made fun of him? How about Herod that tried to have Jesus... Killed as a baby there in in Bethlehem. Uh, Where are these men today? They are the footstool of Jesus as they're, and we're not rejoicing over this, but they're suffering in hell. They belittled the Savior. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead, and these enemies are now His footstool. Uh, uh, Let's see. Uh, Psalm 110 in verse 1 is what's being referenced here. One of the reasons why I just... Adore the book of Hebrews is the book of Hebrews takes the Old Testament, which the, the Hebrew people love, the Jews love, and it just interweaves it seamlessly with the narrative of the life of Jesus Christ. Look at Psalm 110 and verse 1, and Jesus would quote this. We won't turn there this evening, but Jesus would quote this as a stumper, a puzzle stumper to the Pharisees in the New Testament. But here it says the Lord, and look at the way uh, Lord is capitalized, capital L-O-R-D, that being God the Father. The Lord said unto my Lord, the different um, uh, case there, speaking of God the Son, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies my footstool. Here God the Father is speaking to God the Son in this verse, and he's saying, uh, again prophetically, sit here, wait, I'm going to make your enemies that footstool. Now, time does not allow us to do it this evening, and we've done it uh, previously while going through Hebrews, but you remember Philippians 2? where he humbled himself, became obedient to the death of the cross. And, and, and it says that, Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hey, you're either going to humble yourself now, or you're going to be humiliated later, but either way, your knee will bow, your tongue will confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? Because those who reject God outright, they're going to be made his footstool as their enemies. And listen, I've heard it all. I've heard people say, well, Christianity is so narrow-minded. And I want to say, whoa, 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 pump the brakes right there. Hold on just a moment. God created the world. The world did not exist before he created it. And because he created the world, he gets to create the rules for those that he created and put in the world. If you are here today, you are the creation of our God in heaven, and He created you, and He gave you a purpose, and He says, "If you want salvation, you must come through My Son, Jesus Christ." That doesn't make Him narrow-minded; that makes Him fair. In uh, 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 many of the commentaries that I was looking through and studying Hebrews ten, I came across a quote that I just adored, and so I put it here. I don't—is this going to—is this coming up on the screen, Brother Joe? I don't believe it is gay. Here's the quote, and I encourage you to write it down. If the cross assures us of our sanctification, then the crown assures us of our security. If the cross assures us of our sanctification, then the crown assures us of our security. And again, quickly, what's that mean? That means that Jesus' death... Brings about our sanctification. The fact that Jesus is risen and sitting in heaven with a crown on his head, your salvation is secure and can never be taken away. Where is he at today? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. His enemies have been made his footstool in part. The rest of that will happen at the great white throne judgment seat. But his enemies have been made his footstool and he is there with a crown on his head looking over our salvation. The Father, because of the submission of Christ, the Father has been satisfied. Number five, and lastly, notice the service of the believer. The service of the believer. Look with me uh, at verse number 19. While you're finding that, quickly, you see a paradigm shift here in Hebrews 10. Instead of sacrificing animals, we're pointed to how Jesus was sacrificed, and then we're pointed to how that we are to sacrifice ourselves. No, no, no. That doesn't mean we tie ourselves down to a brazen altar and plunge a knife into our chest. We're to be a living sacrifice. Look at verse 19 and see how now, instead of taking an animal and sacrificing it... I am to live for Jesus as a living sacrifice. Look at verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God. Look at 22. Let us draw near with a true heart to full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. He Uh, for he is faithful that promise uh, and let us consider one another to provoke and and good and and to good works. 25 not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of such such is rather or but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching the service of the believer. Romans 12 verse 1 and 2 tells us that uh, uh, there Paul says I beseech you or I beg you therefore brethren uh, by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies, say it with me here, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but rather, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Hey, go through that sanctification process, quit worrying about what the world does, quit worrying about the culture of the world and trying to look like, talk like, act like, behave like uh, the world be entertained by the world rather leave the world behind don't be stamped in their image but give yourself over give your mind over to the lord and let him transform it let him renew it How, and then what's the end result you are a living sacrifice boy time does not allow us this evening to go through all the verses in the bible but i'll give you one here quickly ephesians 2 uh, verse 10 says this it says for we are his workmanship Created in Christ Jesus for what purpose? Unto good works. Twice in just one verse, we're told that we are his workmanship. What's that mean? That means that you have been made a new creature in Christ and you are the handiwork of God. He came down the second time when you got saved and he made you all over again inwardly. He wrote his laws on the inside of your heart. He put the Holy Spirit inside of you. And then he says, I did all that for you to go forth and do good works. Now, again, I don't want to get super technical here, but I want to drive home what good works are. Good works are works of righteousness, There are works that please the Lord. There are works that are in line with Scripture. Goodness is Godness. Are you with me this evening? When you go forth and do good works, it isn't good as the world defines it. It's good as God defines it. We're created unto good works. We're created to be that living sacrifice. That that every day I get up and say, Lord, I'm going to take my flesh And what it wants to do. And I'm going to crucify that. I'm going to kill it. I'm going to run a knife through it. Lord, what is your plan for me today? What would you have me do today? Who do you want me to speak with? Miss Pauline shared a few minutes ago about the courage she had to work up to give that gospel Christmas track to that uh, doctor of hers and, and, and the intimidation and the fear and how she took a moment and prayed and said, I'm not going to let my flesh tell me what to do. I'm going to do what the Lord's will is. Miss Pauline, you submitted, and the Father was satisfied because you served the living God. You see how that works? You see how that works? Now, here in these verses, uh, we're given three ways to serve. And there are many more in Scripture, but three ways are laid out here. Letter A, notice, draw near Draw near. Look back at verse 19. I I read quickly through these. Let's move a little bit slower here. Having therefore, brethren, boldness. Miss Pauline found that boldness this week. That comes with walking with the Lord and being submitted to the Lord. Boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now this is really, really, really good. Look at verse 20. Look here, by a new and living way. Let me pause there, a new and living way. John fourteen six. Jesus said what? He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So in that verse, he says he's the way and the life. Look back here, by a new and life living way. Who is this new and living way? It's Jesus Christ. Okay, which he, speaking of Jesus, hath consecrated. Now that word consecrated means to be put in full force, to, uh, uh, to be created anew. He hath consecrated, made anew, established, put in force for us, this new and living way, through the veil, that is to say his flesh. This is really good. What happened when Jesus died on the cross to the veil in the temple? Anybody remember? It was torn in half. As Jesus' body was broken, the veil was broken. Look back at verse 20 and notice what it says the veil represents. It represents the flesh of Jesus. Now, the high priest had to go through the veil to get into the holy place. You all with me this evening? He had to walk through that veil. That veil was the only thing that separated the priests from the high priest. It's the only thing that separated the holy place... From the holy of holies. And the Bible says here that Jesus was the veil. Here we're told with boldness, because of the blood of Jesus, we get to enter into that holiest place and spend time with God. And we're to do so boldly and that, that, that partition that awaits us that we walk through is the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn over to John chapter 10 and verse number 9. John chapter 10 and verse number 9 for sake of time i'm going to begin reading i jesus said this he said i am the door here's that veil by me if any man enter in he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture i am the door Jesus says, I am the veil, I am the door. You want to come to God the Father? Boy, you've got to come through me, but not only for salvation, but also to spend time with God. He says here, draw near. Uh, we don't just draw near to be saved, we draw near to grow. Go back to Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse number 21. And having an high priest, speaking of Jesus over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You may remember when Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples. And and he came to Peter. And and Peter said, no, Jesus, don't wash my feet. And, and, And Jesus said, no, listen, this is necessary that I wash your feet. And he explained it. And Peter said, well, then wash my whole body. And Jesus said, whoa, Peter. This is just getting a little weird, all right? You want me to wash your whole body? That's not actually what he said. But that's what I would have said, okay? Um, uh, but uh, he explained the symbolism there. The washing of the body happens at salvation, right, symbolically. The washing of the feet is when we go to the Lord and we confess our sin and say, Lord, my heart needs to be right with yours. Christian, let me ask you a question. Every day when you do something wrong, and I'm going to guess that all of us on a daily daily basis think, say, or do something that breaks the laws of God. We all at some point do do something, have an attitude, have a thought, uh, make a joke. In, In some way, we do something where the Spirit of God just kind of pokes us a little bit in the heart and says, you know, that probably was or that was out of bounds. When that happens... Do you go to the Lord and say, Lord, will you wash me anew? Will you make me clean? I want to be pure in your sight. We cannot draw near unless our hearts are right and pure before the Lord. Letter A, draw near. Letter B, hold fast. Hey, the service of the believer, I don't know about you, but when I do the work of the Lord, I don't want to do so with the filth of sin covering me. No, I want to take those sins I've committed and confess and be cleansed. After we draw near, then we hold fast. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful, that promise. Now these won't be on the screen, but I um, I, I came up with three uh, three thoughts here below hold fast. First, we're to hold fast our position. Look back at verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of what? Our faith. Our faith. You know, there are a lot of churches that are going apostate in 2019. They they don't preach against sin. I can't tell you how many... In fact, when I have folks visit this church and I sit in their living room, here's what they tell me. They tell me, Pastor, thank you for preaching against sin. The churches I've been going to, they don't preach against sin. Mike, I believe I sat down with you and, or on the phone. You told me that very thing. And you've been to many churches around here, have you not? Pastor, thank you for just preaching the Bible. Uh, And look, I'm not the best preacher in the world. There's a lot of preachers out there that are better than me, and I'm aware of that. But what we don't want to do is ever quit holding fast our faith. This we must hold on to. There's all sorts of pressure for church to change. We can't change. We got to hold on to this, and you know what? Sometimes the message in this book is so unpopular with the crowd. We're not called to be populists. We're called to stand uh, uh, for the precepts of God's word. Let us hold fast our position. Let us hold fast our profession. Look back at uh, uh, verse number twenty-three there. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. And just to be one hundred percent clear, I went back and looked at the root word and what it meant. You know what profession means? It means to profess. <laughs> It means to go forth and tell people about what we believe. It means don't be ashamed of it. Hey, the world is never going to know about Jesus if Christians keep their mouth shut. And too many Christians are too ashamed of what they believe that they won't open up their mouth. I don't know about you. I don't want to be guilty of that. Boy, I want to make sure I tell everybody I can about Jesus. Today I was out running some errands and um, uh, I... uh, uh, I won't get into the funny stories. We're out of time here. But I walked into Dunkin' Donuts to get a hot chocolate because I had work to do outside here to get the buses ready. and I just needed a cup of hot chocolate in my hand. I probably didn't need it, but, you know, I needed slash wanted it. Anyway, I'm in there, and I have a Christmas track in my pocket. And uh, the, the guy behind the counter there, I gave it to him, and I said, I'd like to invite you to our Christmas Eve service at 6 o'clock. He looked at me, and his eyes got real big. He said, you're the first Christian I've met. Now, he just started there. I know some of you go in there. You probably just haven't met him yet. I met him, and I gave His name is Giovanni. I gave it to him. By the way, he's the only male I've ever seen working in that Dunkin' Donuts. But I gave it to him, and he said, I'm going to come to your church. You know, I don't even know if Giovanni saved. But I know this. We need to hold fast our profession. Our, our position, our profession, and then his promises. Look back at verse 23. Let us hold fast the, profession of our, fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful, that promise. You know what we're holding on to? We're holding on to the promise that God's going to come back and rapture us and that he's going to reward us in heaven. Let's never let go of that. And By the way, we're holding on to a lot of promises in Scripture as well. Hey, the world is really dark out there. Well, we have something to look forward to. I don't know about you. I don't want to let down my Savior. Lastly, we're running out of time here. Let us see. Notice, forsake not. Forsake not. Look at verse 24 and 25. It says, And let us consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching, uh, I've preached a whole sermon out of 24 and 25 at the very beginning of this year. And so I won't rehash that message. Let me just say two things on this and then we'll shut it down tonight. First of all, uh, um, uh, we are uh, as a, a, in this forsake not notice the local church, the local church. Look here, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. I just want to make one quick comment here. I'm preaching to the choir because it's Wednesday and you're all here. It's not enough to tune into our live stream, right, and say I've been to church. That's not what this says. You're not to forsake the assembling together. Not a digital assembling. Physical assembling. You need to walk into the building that the Lord has given us, the church, and you need to rub shoulders with people. I don't care if you're antisocial. You need to be here anyway and smile and shake someone's hand. And if you're really that scared of germs, carry some hand sanitizer on you. Amen? But we need to make sure that we're here part of a local church. That is God's plan. The second thought I put down here was our Christian love. Our Christian love. Look back at verse number 24. And and this is really great. It says, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. I, I looked up that word provoke, and you know what it means? It means to make someone angry. Make someone upset. It means to step on someone's toes a little bit. You know what? Sometimes when I come to church, somebody says something to me, and I'm like, I don't like that. I don't appreciate that. But you know what? I needed to hear it. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. The kisses of an enemy are deceitful. We're to provoke. And then down in verse 25, it says we're to exhort. That means we're to encourage. And so we come to church so that we can be provoked to love God and love others, to be exhorted, to love God and love others. Sometimes you come to church and you need you need a whooping. Other times you come to church and you need to be loved on and encouraged. You come to church and you let the, the word of God minister to you. And so what does it mean now to, to sacrifice for the Lord? It doesn't mean that we bring an animal and put it on the altar. Oh, no, no, no. The sacrifice was done on the cross for us 2,000 years ago. Now we sacrifice for the Lord, not an animal. We sacrifice ourselves by serving Him. Are you conforming to the world, or are you being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ? Are you serving your Savior? Let's stand together this evening. We'll close with a word of prayer. I went seven minutes longer than I should have, because you all went seven minutes longer with your thanksgiving. So I'm blaming you. It's not my fault. Amen? Let's be dismissed with a word of prayer. I hope the Word of God challenged you this evening, and you go forth and live a life consecrated uh, to our Savior.